heard that one before, Amanda. Who is the artist of that? Okay, cool. Great. Good, good, good. Great words. Good morning, everyone. Boy, it's like a sea of faces out there. Aren't you glad you're here this morning? You could be home in your jammies. <laughs> Thought of that earlier. You don't want to see me in my jammies. Just saying. We are delighted to have you here this morning and uh, just a couple of things here as we kind of work our way through. Not only this evening will we not be having the evening service, but we were also going to be voting on this recommendation from the missions team. And so that we will postpone to the next week just gives us a little more time to uh, reflect on that one. And, um, but anyway, we will take care of that. Um, and you know what? Before the foundation of the world, God knew we'd have snow today. Isn't that just wonderful? And he knows. And sometimes we get all uptight, you know, and we're trying to think, what should we do? How? And God's just like, don't worry about it. Got it under control. And this morning we look around, we see empty pews, but I see pews that have people in them. This morning we're going to kind of take a little bit of a break. Some of you are saying, what? no sermon this morning? Wow, you guys are really getting really programmed for notes. That's a good thing, I guess. There's no notes this morning. You going to be okay? Paul, you going to make it? All right, good. Uh, because I would like to continue the Sermon on the Mount series next Sunday morning because we've come to a very key point in that. And I wanted to make sure that we had as many people as possible. Not that I have anything that's really all that valuable, but the text really points to a significant area We'll kind of give you a little bit of that as we conclude this morning. But this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about this whole area of applying what we've learned. We've started this already in Sunday school this morning. We talked about the difference between love and romance. It was a great class. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it. Picked up a lot of different things. Because we're living in a day and age where we have a whack of people that are saying... This is what we ought to do. And don't get me started. Mrs. Kerr's already got me wound up about 50 shades of gray already. <laughs> In the world right now, of all the weekends to pick, do we get what's happening? Don't let this go by from the standpoint of number one. Number one, let me just say, as your pastor, don't go. If you... If, if you would like to talk to me, I would love to. But we're talking about an affront to the sanctity of something that God only knows best. And Hollywood is depicting something that is pure from the pit of hell, and it is not something we even can give airspace that's all I'll say. I'll talk to you later. Because we're living in a cultural thing where people are saying, you have heard it said. That's the point. It's a movie based on three books that have taken the world by storm. And the reason is, there's been no counter truth. 
That's the point of the next section that we're going to look at in the Sermon on the Mount. Whose authority is this? Because when we talk about lifestyles, don't you really get into lifestyle? Isn't that great in the church when we start talking about how you should live? Don't you just love that? I mean, I went to a church where you had to wear all blue suits. That was a sign of spirituality. And I mean, wow, that's really something, right? I mean, and we get into all of this, and it's like you've heard it said, but this text is telling us what God says. So as we think a little bit about that one, we realize that we come to this point where we can take and look at God's word and see what kingdom dwellers ought to live like. No questions. Black and white, folks. It's in the text. And it begins with the Beatitudes. And we've spent a couple of weeks talking about these characteristics and attitudes, especially, that produce followers who are full to overflowing. If there's one thing that I desire more than anything else is to have a cup full to overflowing in my life. That it's not just something that I have to drag myself here in the morning and just somehow give you a bunch of stuff. I want it to work in my life. Psalm 63, David was the same. Oh, that I could see you as I have seen you in the sanctuary. He's running in the desert. Most of us live in a desert, don't we? We live in a crooked and corrupt world that is doing 50 shades of gray in front of us and stuffing this filth in our face. They don't understand God. They don't know Him. And they don't know how beautiful a relationship really is when we honor God Almighty. Is He worthy of our honor this morning? Do you have that kind of a thirst for Him? That's what the Beatitudes Deals with that innermost desire, the wellspring of your life. It's when you wake up in the morning, it's the first thing that comes to mind. Do I have it? No. Do I long for it? Yes. Have I tasted of it? (laughs) And I want more. That's what kingdom dwellers look like. And then we talked, after that, we begin to unfold and unpack the characteristics of salt and light. When you have these kind of things in your life, we become an influence to the world around us. And we talked about salt and light. And how important that is in our world. The question that we're going to kind of work on this morning is, so what does that look like? Because I really don't look like a salt shaker, I don't think. Well, Beth, don't even say anything. But we see these metaphors. How do we work them out? When we open the Word of God, we're not left to understand. You know, we don't have to try to figure this out. And this is where we've been working a little bit on Sunday night, so I'm going to extrapolate this, bring it out of Sunday night, because we're not going to have Sunday night, so 
I've got to get this out of my system, right? So here we go. Who's my neighbor? We've been talking about this one. And we've been working through the text. Chapter 10 of Luke. Take your Bible. Look there. We're going to be parking in there. And as we think of this particular story, parable that Jesus Christ gives, it unpacks for us what does it look like to be a kingdom dweller? I want to know. Because... When I was young, I thought a kingdom dweller was somebody that just kind of sits around, you know, morbid, doesn't have any fun, and all they do is pray. That was my idea of Christianity. And I'm beginning to realize that, wow, is that ever wrong? Because there is life, is there not? And we can have life and enjoy it. How? More boringly. Now, if you hang around this group at all, if you're kind of new to us here, uh, if you came out to the fun night, you'd see what boring was all about. You know, I'm not a table game person. I'm sorry. I thought those things... I mean, I just... That's got to be... That's for old people. Table games. And I looked at some of the young people, and they were having way too much fun. There's something about good, clean fun and laughter, isn't there? God originated that. I got a funny feeling that God has quite a sense of humor. Because I look in the mirror and I think, yeah, he must have had when he made So we won't go any further with that one. But somehow or other, we get into the doldrums of all this and we think our Christian experience is what this is right here in church, right? We come to church, we sing a few songs, we stand, we sit, we stand, we sit, we got to put some money in the offering, and then he gets up there and blah, 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 blah. And then we stand and pray, and then we go home. Eh. If that's all there is, why don't we just shut the lights off and turn the keys in? That's what this message was all about. Because if you look at Luke two, Luke 10, and you look at verse 2, it starts with the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. And that's what we've been talking about. It's godly laborers. And then nestled behind this story is the story of Martha and Mary, right? And they were laboring. They were laborers. They were people in the kingdom. These were not just outsiders. This whole passage of Scripture connects to one another. And when you you look at it from that perspective, you draw some interesting, interesting points that can help us with our day-to-day life. How we view God will have a tremendous bearing on our responsibility to the needy. Now we're talking about something totally different, aren't we? We're talking about something outside of this building. We're talking about something that everybody can do. Well, as we think about that one, we see that there's three men. (laughs) Two of them walk by, and finally one stops. And the word that we see in Luke chapter 10, the parable, verse 25, the lawyer comes and he tries to trip Jesus up, and he begins to unfold this in verse 30, and I'll read to you, and then we'll look at a few things this morning. 
Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among the thieves, was stripped, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, departed, leaving him half dead. We've looked at that already. Now by chance a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he had arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But... Verse 33, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had what? Compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. He set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And on the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I come, I will repay you. So which of these men, these three, do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among thieves? No question about it. And he said, he who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said to him, go and do thou likewise. So we've looked at the neighbor. And we understand the fact that the guy has been totally taken advantage of. He needs help. He's hurting. He can't help himself. He's half dead. He's going to die if we don't help. And he appears on my path. And he needs me now. We just walk by. See, the kind of Christianity that just comes to church on Sunday morning and does its thing is like a Levite and the priest. Because really, we just come to check off God. And the rest of the week is ours. I'm speaking to me, okay? It's really easy just to get caught up into the professional part. When God wants to drill down into our heart and reveal to us the word compassion. Can I ask you a question this morning? Which one of these guys would have said they were compassionate. Is, do you ever notice that with people? <laughs> okay, let me rephrase that. Wayne, have you ever noticed that with yourself? Yes, I have. And what would that be, Wayne? Well, let me tell you. Do you ever talk to yourself? Please don't. When you speak back, it's really bad, I know. The things that we usually get ourselves all up in a knot over in a public meeting in the church sanctuary are some of the very things that totally are the opposite of how we really are in life. The Samaritan never would have said that he was compassionate. But yet he did it. Everybody okay? Did I tell you I love you today? The word of God is rough on us. I don't know. I, I've been where you are. I can't sit under the sound of the word of God. I have a hard time to read the word of God without all of a sudden it's like the voice of God, the face of God. Revealing in my heart and life how I need to align myself to a holy and righteous God who loves me enough 
to bring it to my attention. We're talking about a challenge for laborers. And the challenge is to be compassionate. I can go through the motions. I'm reading a book right now of an individual that for 10 years, everybody thought he was a vegetable, but he wasn't. He just couldn't express himself. And now he's got his cognitive and abilities now to express verbally. He talks about his caregivers. And he could tell if they really, truly loved him by the way they put his clothes on in the morning or took them off at night. Because when they were distant, they would pull them off instead of taking them off. It's that evident to people. I mean, think about the guy in the ditch. It's pretty evident, isn't it? When you got three guys that go by and look at you and only one of them actually comes over and makes eye contact and does something about it, That's huge. And so we look at this word, compassion. Got a definition for it? It's a tough word. There's all kinds of things that conjure up in our mind with compassion. And we could put ourselves into a bottle of Maalox thinking over all the different things. And am I or not or whatever. And I come up with this as I put them all together. This simple little phraseology. It is a feeling of sympathy for another that leads to action. But I want to put with it, it's the ability to see first. When we see the need, that's only when we're going to be able to feel. And if we can feel it, maybe it will move us to action. That is the complete cycle. So I can have sight and not be compassionate. Man, I've been in a lot of meetings where we've we got a great need here. And we, we need to help out. Remember when Haiti broke loose on us? And they were painting the picture. How long ago was that? We have to think, don't we? 
we saw the need. We, some of us were moved to a feeling of, oh, man, we need to do something. And then even we felt like we needed to do something, and we did it. We sent money, but now what? Look at the country. It's hard. I mean, the issues are still there. Money never solves problems. I thought I was going to get you out early this morning. I may not. Let's talk quickly this morning. The price of compassion. Remember when Jesus said this? When I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. That exemplifies Christ, doesn't it? I think we can say that Christ is compassionate. Because he's fulfilled every one of those various things that he said that we needed to do. But as I thought of this passage of scripture, I think compassion starts well before the event, doesn't it? A priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. And the Samaritan was the one that actually went in the ditch and got the guy and put him on his own animal and took him to the inn and then paid enough money to have him taken care of it and came back to check on him to make sure that it was covered. Wow. Humongous price tag, isn't it? But because he was a Samaritan, he would have known what it would have been like to be Maybe not in the ditch, but looked upon by everybody else. There's an empathy that goes with sympathy and compassion, folks. And I think one of the biggest challenges that we have as believers today in our society is we can't somehow maybe relate with that individual in that particular situation. But when we let our minds go for just a little while and we think of the state that we were in when Christ found me, it changes everything, doesn't it? It helps us to realize the fact that all God's people are needy. Just as I was. And somebody came to me with the good news of the gospel. He saw this man as others viewed As he's going on his journey, he's beginning to realize, I'm the off scourge. I'm the bum here. Nobody had to tell me how bad I was. And he lived his life not in entitlement. Do you see the change that's happened with the gospel, the prosperity gospel that's so prevalent today? 
Where we're telling people today, come to Jesus. Because if you come to Jesus, you know, you are his treasured person. And he is going to give you everything that you could ever imagine. And all you have to do is name it and claim it. Bless Jesus. And that individual grows up with that kind of background. And they're on their journey. And they see somebody that's in need. And they drive right by. Because guess why? That's somebody else's responsibility. I'm a little better than that. That's for somebody else to take care of. When a kingdom dweller who understands the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it took for you to have eternal life will drive by that same individual and you will stop and you will recognize and you will see the need in their eyes. It's the same one that was in your eyes. And you will know the only way they will ever make it is with God as their Savior. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. The greatest thing that we can ever give to any person. Remember, we're peacemakers. We're crossing guards to the world around us how they can meet God. Well, he did it. He went and he did what he would wanted to have done to himself. The golden rule, we all know that one, right? Where does it come from? It comes from that understanding of what God did in your life and it worked in your life. This is where there's no programs, folks. We can't have a compassion conference. You probably can. But we can't teach you. It's something that has been embedded in you when you accepted Jesus Christ. When we work from that vein, my friend, we work in concert with our personality. And we're going to be a force to reckon with in our community for the glory of God. Well, maybe I'm preaching to the choir and you feel a little bit like this when it comes to all the good works and deeds that need to be done. I sure can handle it, Lord. No problem. Pictures are worth a thousand words, aren't they? Because I'm looking into some of the eyes of you folks, and I've noticed something called compassion fatigue. They have labels for everything today. And the Bible addresses this. Because, friend, if you're here... The best way to get back on your feet is to focus. 
on how big your God is. Look at the next paragraph after this. This was the issue with Martha and Mary. Right? That's what the deal was. They were, she was overwhelmed. They had all these people in. Lord, look at them. They're all coming here to eat. Look at my sister. What's she doing? She's doing nothing. Won't you tell her to help me? I'm just blah, 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 blah. And the weight's getting heavier. And you can see the donkey's off its feet. Once you get a donkey off its feet, do you think the wagon's going to go very far? Do we understand the concept here? Satan is alive and well, isn't he? Isn't that what he wants us to do? Do you believe in the sovereignty of God, my friend? I mean, do you believe that God is in complete control? Boys, you're not convincing me. Because if you do, my friend, that picture is fictitious as that poster that is impossible it's been doctored satan doctors the truth all the time doesn't he it started in the garden yay hath god said and it has continued on nothing new under the sun okay i get it you're tired But if you've gone from tired to not doing anything, who are you listening to? We need dependence on God, not cockiness. We kind of come into this thing and we think, hey, I can do this. And there are going to be times, my friend, if you are feeling overwhelmed, it's probably because you deserve it. Did I tell you I loved you? When I get to the place at the end of the week and I am bagged out and I am just wanting to quit, crawl into a cave, and I don't ever want to come out and see anybody or especially answer the phone. That's when I know I got my feet in the air. And I have allowed Satan to do what he loves to do with his people. So when I see a need, I just stick my nose in the air and walk on by. Because I got enough on my plate now. Blessed interruptions, folks. Aren't they wonderful? Just when you're into that moment, the phone rings. Just when you settle into that great thought, somebody's coming at the door. Just when, and you can name it. And we get ourselves all caught up and really wound up over this stuff. And we fail to realize that it was as he was on his journey that this man came across this guy in the ditch. It was God Almighty that put him there so that this man could experience the hand of God 
on his wife once again and not the guy in the ditch. The guy that reached out to him. I want to leave you with a prayer. And if you've been with us on Wednesday nights, turn your Bibles to John. John chapter 17, and we'll close with this. A prayer that God was received from his very son. This is the Lord's prayer. And as we look at the opening lines, we see Jesus speaking directly to his father, asking him to glorify his son as he's been glorified. And then he gets down a little bit further and he begins to pray specifically for his kingdom dwellers, his disciples. And he prayed four things for them. And this is how we need to pray as kingdom dwellers. Number one, we see in John 17, 9, I pray for them and I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, but these are in the world. Keep them through your name you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. There needs to be a unity. We need to pray that God will work in our lives in such a a way that we will have this same mind that Christ had, that we're unified, that focus is with God. Read Colossians 3 later this afternoon. It is just a rich text of Scripture that helps us to unpack this area of what it looks like when we have the mind of Christ, that unity, so that we're not just unified with husband and wife, but we're unified with the creator of this universe. When we are unified with him, we're going to see people differently. He goes on to pray. But these things in verse 13, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. My joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus' joy in us. What brings a parent the most joy? When their children obey. What brings Jesus Christ the most joy is when we obey him. We're unified. We're obedient to him. And here it is again, Matthew chapter 28. And in verse 18, it talks about the Great Commission. And it starts with what? What's the word? Go. And that word go is as you are going about your day to day. It's the same thing. This is the concept. When we're unified in Him, it's no longer about my agenda, my schedule. It's about what God wants me to do. And I will obey Him. Thirdly, a little bit further down. We pick it up and we'll catch it here. I have given them your word, verse 14, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as you are not, as I am not of the world. I don't pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. 
for the laborers, we need to pray for unity, obedience, and that we would be protected from the evil one that will try to get us off our feet. The first two men walked by. They were off their feet. It was the third guy that was focusing on God that knew what God wanted in his life as soon as he saw that man because of the work that God had done in his life. And then finally, as you read that text, it says, Sanctify them, verse 17, by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Set apart. That word set apart has everything to do with change in a life. And that is the transformation. That is the grace of God in our life. That we will see change in those that we help. Why? Simply for the glory of God. This fits in the Sermon on the Mount. Because we're talking about lifestyle. We've been talking about attitudes. We've kind of looked at it a little bit in the area of thing of character development, light and salt. We're going to continue to think about this one next week as we deal with authority. But then he's going to give us six key areas that need to be part and parcel of a believer's life. They all deal with compassion in a huge way. Who's my neighbor? How am I going to respond? What does compassion look like this week? Will I be God's servant in all he wants this week? Let's stand together and pray. Dear God, we've heard it said. We want to hear what you say. And when we hear what you say, we don't want to hear it so that we can compare and pick which one we want because we know as a Bible-driven church, when you say it, that settles it. Help us to look to the truth of God's Word as we think of the people around us, the neighbors, and as we've even been praying today for different ones that are going through different things. There could be somebody that you're nudging in this auditorium right now. Help us to open our eyes. Help us to look around. God, may we not be allowed to be overwhelmed and put aside. But may we be effective for your glory and honor. God, we want to please you in everything that we do. Because of what you have done in our lives, there's absolutely nothing you could ask of us that we shouldn't be more than willing to do. Bless us as we go. Keep us safe as we travel. Give us a great week for your honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much for being with us. Remember, tonight's service is canceled. So have a great afternoon.